Jason, I'm going to ask you to keep playing for just a couple of moments. I don't know if you caught that picture. Can you go ahead and just dial those lights down a smidge, please, this morning? I don't know if you caught that picture, what we were just doing there. There are angels. Bowing down. Before God. And the saints are called to adore him. This morning, I don't know if you missed that. I don't know how you came in this morning, if you have things going on. But if you're a saint of God this morning, I pray that your heart has been pierced and and touched and, and moved in such a way that During those moments of worship, you were crying out to God, lifting your voice in praise. I pray that that was not a boring moment for you, that that was not a a frustrating moment for you, that you maybe wish we would have just stopped singing so long or just go ahead and get to the message. But I pray that those moments of worship and crying out to God would be what your soul desires to do. That today you're enjoying these moments of worship and praise and singing to a God, to a Father who is holy, holy, holy. I pray for you this morning and myself that this has been the desire of our heart. That it's the desire of every moment of our lives that we desire to bow down before Him and cast our crowns before Him and call Him holy and worship Him. This morning... I want to do a little something different as we begin our, our service, the preaching part. Um, it's Father's Day, and um, we're here to celebrate our Heavenly Father and our earthly fathers. And, and what I'd like to do for just a couple of moments, if, if it's okay, is I'd like to ask every male in this place to stand up. If you would go ahead and do that for me. Every male, if you're a, a grandfather, a father, an uncle, you have no kids, you are a 16-year-old boy, every male to stand up. And for the next couple of moments, did I say something weird? For the next couple of moments, what I want to do is I want to ask every person in this room to just cry out to God, pray to God in your own way. If, it's, if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, do something, pray for the men standing up in this place today. I don't know about you, but I know that the enemy is attacking men left and right, trying to keep fathers busy away from their kids and their wives, and trying to keep fathers away from the Word of God and away from prayer, and there's so many things going on in our world, and and, and wives and grandmas and prayer warriors, I want to ask you to pray with me for these men. Let's do that in this moment. You may, you may lift your hand. You may touch the shoulder of, of the guy next to you. Whatever you want to do, let's just go to God in prayer. Father God, this morning we lift up praises to your name. We, we thank you for being our heavenly Father. We thank you that you're perfect. We thank you that you're righteous, that you're holy, that, that you adopt us into your family. We thank you that you're a Father who never leaves us or forsakes us or who never disappoints us. Not for one moment you do those things, God, but you're a Father who loves us. You're a father who cares about us. You're a father who wants to hear from your children this morning. And so this morning we cry out to you, Lord. 
God, this morning as these, as these men and these boys are standing, God, we lift them out to you and we, we call them out. And God, I ask that you would do something miraculous in their life this morning, God. I pray that you would give them a hunger and a desire for the word of God and for prayer that they've never had before. God, I pray that you would help them to understand that you have uniquely crafted each and every one of them for your purpose, God that you love them, that you have sent your son Jesus to die for them, and that you want them to be fully committed to you, Lord. God, your word says that we are to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and I pray right now that you would forgive us as men for not doing so. God, forgive us for having ambitions that are not Christ. Forgive us for not loving our wives as we should, for not sacrificing as we should. For, for working so many hours and neglecting our kids, for not knowing their hearts, God. God, forgive us for not praying over our kids. And I pray that you would rise up a generation of men who would seek your face, who would desire to be holy as you were holy, who would look to you, their father, and want to be just like you. God, forgive us of our sins. God, if there are men in this place today who are struggling with selfishness, who are struggling with pornography and lust, God, I pray that you would wipe those things away, God, and cleanse us afresh and anew this morning, God. God, we need to be men who rise up and who lead the way in righteousness and holiness. We need to lead our families. We need to lead our kids and our wives and our churches. God, would you rise up a group of men here in Ansonia? who love you and who are devoted to you and you alone. God, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you that you love us when we are unlovable. We thank you that even though we mess up all the time, you forgive us when we ask you to forgive us. And so this morning, may your saints adore you. May you move and shape us afresh and anew this day. And may it all be for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. You, got, you want that for our men in this church? Amen. Amen. Man, let's give God a hand clap. Man. So guys, we don't have any chocolate bars or gifts for you today, all right? Um, that, pray, that time of prayer is, is the gift, and I just pray that we as men just steer away from the world and focus in on our holy God and we become men of God that he wants us to be. Well, I was away for a couple of days um, in Chicago at a conference. I just got back uh, last night. Uh, this conference was um, about prayer, evangelism, um, and just rooting all that we do as a church um, in prayer. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I don't know much about them, and I know more now, but I was talking to one of their campus pastors, and, and they said, the best thing we do in our entire church is our Tuesday night prayer meeting, where we come together and we just pray. We sing, we pray, we call out to God, we get prayer requests, and everybody in the church prays for these requests. We ask God to bless uh, ministries and pastors and the community, and we just pray and we just pray. That's all we really do. This conference was bathed in prayer, and I want to call our church to a higher level of prayer. 
It's my belief that prayer is the secret sauce of any church, that a church that's not praying well is, is not going to be solid in the faith, that men who aren't praying well and women who aren't praying well and pastors who aren't praying well and elders who aren't praying well, we're not going to get very far down the continuum of making disciples. And so if nothing else, I pray that we become a church that desires to lift up our hands and worship and pray to our God, knowing that he wants to hear from, from us. One, one verse that I heard over the week, the past couple of days, that just really struck me and that I can't get away from is, is this idea that Jesus says that my house will be a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, not a house of singing, not a house of fellowship. Jesus says my house is going to be, it's, it's a house of prayer. And so I want us to begin to, to, to think about these things more, to pray more, to get more comfortable. I know that when we prayed just a minute ago, I didn't hear really anybody praying out loud. And, and the Bible would say that we need to pray and we need to call out to God and cry out to God. And these are it's a little uncomfortable for us. We're kind of conservative here, right? But I think that there's something powerful when we begin to open up our mouths and pray and pray and pray. And so I want us to become a church that's just steeped so deeply and richly in prayer that it's not uncomfortable for us to pray for each other, that it's not uncomfortable for us that when somebody says, hey, can you pray for me about this? We wouldn't say, yeah, I'll pray for you when I pray at night, but I would say, let's pray right now. I pray that we become that church that just wants to talk to God. I want to share a quick story about prayer, then we'll jump into our text. Uh, when Renee and I first started dating, we were reminiscing yesterday on the phone on my way home. Um, we, were, we just started dating about 11, it was 11 years ago. We're about to come up on 10 years and, um, and I remember we were at this park in Inglewood. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Centennial Park. Anybody ever heard of Centennial Park? Nobody, just me. That's great. Um, so we're at this park, and we're walking around, and uh, it's, it's coming, um, you know, getting a little darker out. It's becoming dusk. And so we stop uh, in this little uh, tree area. It's shaded, and they have some of these bleachers like you would see at a baseball game, just some aluminum bleachers. And so we decide to sit down and just start talking. Um, we don't really have much time to do that these days, do we? But we just talk. There's no kids, nobody running around. We're just talking. So then one of us said, hey, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray. So we held hands, and we just sat there all by ourselves, nobody in the park, and we just started praying. And uh, about 30 seconds in or so, uh, we see these red, blue, and white flashing lights coming on, right? This cop car had pulled in and comes over to us. We don't know that we're just praying, and he's like, ma'am, is everything okay? And I'm like, what about me? Like, is everything okay here? <laughs> like, yeah, we're fine. We're, um, we're praying. I'm sure that this cop was kind of bewildered by that statement. That's probably, he's probably never heard that thing before in his life, right? What do you do? We're praying. So we're just praying there, and then we, we get up and we, we move on. And uh, true story, three months later, we're driving through Inglewood. I'm not sure where we're heading to. And, and sometimes I go like one or two or maybe 10 miles an hour over the, the limit, right? I haven't had a ticket in about six years, so keep praying for me. But anyways, I'm going a little bit over the limit, and this cop car pulls up. Kid you not. I get my license registration, look over. This cop looks in. Aren't you that praying couple? Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of this, full advantage. Yes, we are. My dear wife here. And so we were talking, and I, don't, I think he let us off. I don't think I got a ticket that day. And so moral of the story, I don't know. 
just always pray. Um, <laughs> use that to your advantage, all right? Use that to your advantage. All right, having some fun. This morning, we're going to jump right back into Galatians. Um, here at Anthony Church of God, we elevate the Word every single Sunday. We love to, to, to read the Word. We've been asking our church to bring their Bibles every Sunday that you could mark them up and, and really study and, and process. We have life group notes. If you're in the life group, take those. If you're not, take them and use it as a study guide for the week. There's some questions that pertain to the message. Uh, but last week we kicked off. Jason did a fantastic job last week kicking off our Galatians sermon series. Um, and this week we're in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to re- be reading verses 11 through 24. And the message this morning... Um, one of my favorite scriptures now um, in the Word of God, but it's a message about how Jesus loves to save bad people. We were all once in that category. We were all once rebels of his. He loves to save people that are rebels, and he loves to use them for his glory. Like, that's what we're talking about this morning. He loves to save people by his grace, and he loves to then use them for his purposes. So let's go ahead and stand up. As we honor the Word of God, these are, these are words written um, in this day, and they're written for us this morning. So let these words just seep into to our hearts today. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's very important. This is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But, this is the great word in this text, but when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal a son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother, And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truth. It's undeniable. It's unchanging. It is truth. May we believe that this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it penetrates our hearts today. Thank you that your word was relevant back in 2,000 years ago, and it's as relevant for us today as it was then. That we can trust your word to be true, that we can receive your word today, and that it can transform our hearts to make us live differently tomorrow. God, I ask that you would open up our ears, our hearts, to receive your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Seated. Such a wonderful word this morning that we have. Before we get into breaking this down and how this really applies to us this morning, 
I want to tell you a story that comes from the book of, of Mark. I'm not going to read every verse, but if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 4, if you're taking notes, write down Mark chapter 4, 5, 7, 8. I want to tell you a little story about um, a man who was changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 4, um, I want to set the scene for you. There is this um, region over in Israel. There's a Sea of Galilee, all right? It's about 14 miles by 7. Not a huge area, 14 by 7. On one side of the sea um, are the people of God, we'll say. So right over here, people of God, right here is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, over here, the culture is a culture of loving God and knowing God and knowing the Old Testament. Um, Jewish people rich in their traditions but following God. Uh, There are people in this area who are not Christians, but they're not like against Christianity. They understand the culture. They understand what's going on here. These people over here love God. They're Jewish. They're Israelites. They worship God. This area here was birthed out of the 12 tribes of Israel, all right? And so that's what's going on here. Right across the sea over here is this area called the Decapolis. And Deca means 10, so 10 cities of these pagan people who do not care at all about God. They worship foreign gods. They do all kinds of mystic activity and worship and and things that would be in total opposition to these people over here, about seven miles apart, right? Setting the scene up here. What happens in the book of Mark chapter 4 is Jesus is over here, right, with the people who know know the law, know the Bible. And Jesus says these words to his disciples. He says, on that day when evening had come, this is chapter 4, verse 35, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. It would be like us, let's go across to the other side, to this area where all these people don't love God. Let us go over there. Now, many of us, as I'm assuming many of them, were like, do you, do you know where you're asking us to go, right? We're, we're over here. We all worship. Do you, do you know who's over there? I mean, they're asking Jesus this question, all right? Um, he knows everything. Um, they're, they're probably afraid, a little bit timid, a little bit questioning. So they hop in this boat. And as you recall in the Bible, that's when the storm starts raging and and Jesus is sleeping on the boat, right? And he wakes up and these people are terrified and he says, peace be still. He calms the winds and then they get over to the other side and they step foot on the ground, all right? So again, they're coming off the boat. They're probably a little bit terrified. They're not sure what they're about to encounter. And so who do they encounter first? They encounter, like, the worst of the worst of the worst pagan you could ever imagine, all right? The, the worst of the worst. The Bible says in, in chapter 5, they came to the side uh, of the country of the Gerasenes, and when they stepped foot on the ground here, there met him a man of the tombs with an unclean spirit. And so what the Bible then goes on to communicate is this, this guy was living amongst the tombs, Right? He was crying out, and he was in shackles, and nobody could subdue him. Nobody could could, could bind him. He was just a crazy man. 
The Bible says that he would take stones and, and cut himself. and cr- Just this beast of a guy that nobody could do anything with. Get that in your mind. All right? The worst of the worst guy approaches these disciples and Jesus when they step foot. And the Bible goes on to say that as this man is approaching them, and you can imagine these disciples being terrified. I'd probably be hopping back in the boat, right? Like, I'm out of here, Jesus. I got, I got, got to go. Um, this man falls down at Jesus' feet and they have a conversation. And Jesus is praying that these spirits go, and this man is declaring who he is. He says, my name is Legion. And a legion uh, in, in, in history is, is referenced to about 6,000 soldiers, a legion of soldiers. He says, my name is Legion. So there's interaction that goes on. And he says, don't, don't chase me away from the country. And so Jesus, what he does is, as you know this story too, he, he rids him of these unclean spirits. They go into these pigs that are nearby, 2,000 pigs, and they jump off a cliff and they die. And there's this man. There's this man. The worst of the worst in this pagan culture is bowing before Jesus, being healed by Jesus. Can you just imagine that scene? And so there's these herdsmen hanging out on the side, and they've watched this whole thing go down. Like, that would be a, a miracle before your eyes. And so they go back into the town, and they tell people about what's happening, and they all come out. So all these pagans rushing out, and they're looking at this guy, and, and the Bible says this. They see this guy clothed in his right mind. So there's this man who's been tormented for years. The worst of the worst of sinners in this pagan rich culture has been changed by Jesus Christ. These people come out and they witness him and they're like, he's not crazy anymore, right? He's not cutting himself anymore. He's not, he's not abusing people anymore. He's worshiping the Lord. And so what do you think they did then? What do you think they did? What they decided to do, if you read on in Mark 5, is they asked Jesus to leave. Can you imagine this? Jesus performs the greatest miracle they probably could ever witness in this man's life. And they come out and they say, can you get back in your boat and can you go back to where you came from? Wow. Wow. And so as Jesus goes back into his boat, the man that he had healed asks him this question. Can I come with you? Can I just come with you? I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to live in this anymore. I just want to come with you. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, nope. What I want you to do is I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That's what I want you to do. You're not coming with me. You're going to be you're going to, I'm going to use you for my purposes. You're going to go back into your area, your household, your friends. I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy upon you. This morning I would say that we all were once, if we're not today, this man. We all were once outside of God's grace. We all were once rebelling against him, whether we were cutting ourselves and harming other people. As we're going to see here in a minute, whether we were like Paul who would kill Christians, we all once were rebels against God. We all once were in sin. We all once were opposing the gospel. And if you're in Christ today, there was a moment when he saved you by his grace. 
And the message of the sermon today is, then go and tell other people. Then go and tell other people. If he has done this in your life, you have no other choice or option in this world. If he has done a miracle in your heart today, you have no other commission but to go and tell other people, to go and make disciples. Now, I want to tell you the end of the story, and then we're going to jump back into Galatians. So this happened. And about three years later, if you flip over to Mark chapter 7, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes or want to read later, the Bible says in, in verse 31 of chapter 7, then he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So three years later, they end back up in the Decapolis, right where they started those three years ago when that whole thing happened. And what's so amazing to me is that instead of nobody coming out, instead of people wanting him to leave and get back in his boat, we see people coming to Jesus. We see a guy who, who can't, who's deaf and says, Lord, I need you to heal me. And Jesus heals this man. This is where we get the, the account of Jesus feeding the 4,000 people. These people had been there with Jesus, and he's talking and sharing the gospel and telling truth. And, and they hadn't eaten for three days. And Jesus has compassion, the Bible says, on these people. And he says, hey, guys, how many loaves of bread do we have? We have seven, which is so interesting because this Decapolis was birthed out of these seven pagan cultures. The Bible is really cool like that. And they feed 4,000 people. 4,000 people are given bread, food, nourishment, miracles were happening. And that was all set up because this one crazy man came to know Christ and went and told other people. Wow. That, that, that just wows my mind that God does these things. And the worst of people... He makes us bow down before him, changes our life, and says, go and tell other people. It's amazing. It's amazing. Please read that later this week. Let's go back to Paul's story, all right? Galatians chapter 1. I want to tell you a few things this morning um, about this same theme. When God changes your hearts and minds and souls, we go tell people. It's not an option, it's not a maybe, it's not a I don't know, I don't know how to do it. This man, 10 minutes after he received Christ, went and told somebody. I don't know the story, uh, every detail, but I'm assuming that in those 10 minutes, he did not go to seminary, all right? I'm assuming in those 10 minutes, he did not go study up on the, on the law and the Torah. I'm assuming that he didn't. I could be off. He went and told people what Christ had done for him. Simple, plain, no excuses. No, I don't have a Roman's road to salvation to give you. I don't have all the doctrine right. No. He went and told people what Jesus had done. And that's what you and I are called to do today. So as we get back into Galatians, I want to set this up real quick with, with what's going on. Paul is in this area where uh, people are questioning his authority. They're questioning the, the gospel that he's presenting. As we read last week, uh, I think we have a, a text, a slide, uh, in, in Galatians 1.1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from man, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's setting up this entire book saying, this is not from a man. 
This is from God. I'm an apostle from God. In verse 12, he further articulates this today. For I would not have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's message is not one that you and I would dream up or tell him. He has met Christ Jesus. If you know in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, he meets Christ Jesus as blinded and changed. Right? This is not something you and I would dream up. This is not man's gospel. This is from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is basically saying, I'm not making this stuff up. These are not traditions. These are not just random stories as some people believe that the Bible to be. I was talking to a guy the other day in Starbucks, and he told me that the Bible is a comic book. Wow. He told me that the Bible is a science fiction book, and my heart broke for this man. The Bible is no, none of those things. The Bible is true. The Bible is everlasting and unchanging. And so Paul is saying, I'm not making this stuff up. I was not taught these things by a disciple or an apostle or anybody else besides Jesus Christ. He revealed these things to me. These are the things that I'm preaching. And what we're going to find later on, if you read the Bible, is that he then goes, hangs out with disciples, and the same message is what they're both preaching. So he's not making this stuff up, all right? He's not making this stuff up. This is absolute truth for us this morning. I mean, think about it for just a quick second. We would not make up a gospel that says, there is a free gift of salvation, right? There's nothing in this world really is free, right? We would not make that up. We would not institute free gifts of grace and salvation. We would not do that. We would, we would not make up a gospel to where it's all about the grace of, of God through Christ on a cross that pays for our sins. We would make up a gospel that says, earn your way to God. We would make up a gospel that would say, based on your behavior and your good deeds, we get heaven, right? I was talking to that guy that I just referenced at Starbucks two days ago. Please pray for him. His name is Mike Kuchkowski, all right? Say that, Kuchkowski, all right? Um, we were, we were, I was sitting there with a friend. We were talking and praying and reading and just, just hanging out together. And notice this guy right next to us. He'd been there for an hour and a half. And we began to talk about Jesus. And, and you could tell he was one of those guys after 30 seconds that just wanted to pick a fight with you, right? And so we began talking about God. We began talking about um, just how, you know, we were there for a conference on prayer, as I mentioned. And so he had some questions. And he then went in to tell me that he was a former Catholic guy, and he was an altar boy, and he was probably in his mid-50s, and that he had gotten away from the faith and from Scripture. And he, he's the guy that said, comic book, science fiction book. Um, I don't believe those things. So I try, and so he said, I'm searching for truth. And so I said, in, in John 14... The Bible says that Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus proclaims this. And he said, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that Jesus said those things. I don't believe any of that stuff. And I, again, broke for this man. So he went on to tell me that he believes that it's based on his, his life. It's based on if he's kind to his, his ex-wife and if he's kind to his kids and if he serves people, that that's what gets him heaven. And so we begin to peer down deeper into his beliefs, and I ask him questions about what is absolute truth. And he began to tell me, well, it's about the way you're brought up. And so if your parents bring you up this way, this is truth. If these parents bring you up this way, that's truth. And I said, 
that can't be right because somebody over in New Guinea has different values and truth than we do over here. And so you can't base it on your upbringing. It's got to be something rooted deeper. And so I try to keep digging down. And at one point he said, I'd kind of like to pick up this pen and stab you in the eye. (laughs) And he picked up the pen. And I'm thinking, Lord, let me put the pen down. Put the pen down, brother. So he's just talking to me. And he was just joking about that. But I could tell that there was something rising up in him. And he finished the conversation by saying, you know, I like to pick fights with Christians and really press them. He's reading a book, I forget what it's called, about, I don't know. But he was saying, I love to press Christians. And what I love to do is see if they're going to get upset and loud uh, and, and defensive. He told me a story about this guy that he was talking to at the coffee shop. And he would greet him every time. And, um, and then he told him his position. And this, this guy who had his Bible stood up and like, was, was rude to him and never talked to him again. And he said, but the thing I've noticed in your voice and your, your conversation is that you did not get upset, did not raise your voice, did not close up your stuff and leave. You were compassionate and kind towards me, and I want to say thank you for that. So I believe that God worked through me and my friend Tim as we were communicating the gospel to this man. But to get back to where I was heading, he believes that it's by our behavior and works that we're saved And that's not the truth. The truth is that it's the message of Jesus Christ which saves. And so Paul is saying these things to these people. It is the truth of the gospel. This is true, this is true, this is true. And some believe, some don't. And so this whole text is Paul saying, okay, if you don't believe what I'm saying to you, look at my life. And every person in this this place today who has been changed by Christ Jesus should be able to say, look at my life. Look what Christ has done uh, in my conversion and what he's doing in me now. And if I give you nothing else, look at what God has done in my life. And that's what I try to tell Mike at the coffee shop. You're not going to believe the things I'm saying to you. You don't believe that this is true. But let me just tell you a little bit about my life and, and how God's changed me. And maybe that will help you to believe in this gospel of grace And so that's what Paul does. And I want to do that real quick. i got three things I want to share real quick. Paul says, look at my life. We want proof, don't we? We want to to see. We don't like when we hear somebody preach the gospel then go live like the world, do we? We call them hypocrites. We're turned off by them. There's been people in this church who have told me, oh, there's that person that goes to your church and then they go outside the church and live like this and I'm turned off by them. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. Every church in the world has those people in it, so let's not beat ourselves up too bad. But people should know by the way we live and the things we say that we've been changed. And so the grace of God comes kind of in three big buckets that I just want to quickly share this morning. Pre-conversion, conversion, conversion, post-conversion. Pre-conversion. Paul is killing Christians. Paul is casting votes against Christians. Paul is, is doing anything that he can, as the Bible says in, in Galatians, to destroy the church, to wipe it out, to squelch God's plan. He wants to kill and destroy the church and Christians. Many of us intentionally, unintentionally destroy the church at times with gossip, lies, envy, jealousy. You've got to be careful about this. But Paul's saying, I wanted to destroy the church 
of God. And that's what the Bible says, the church of God. That's not where we get our name from, all right, uh, but the church of God. He goes on to say, I, Paul, was zealous, which means extremely passionate about the, the laws and traditions of my fathers. And so Jesus is here, and he's like, Jesus to the side. I am studied and trained in the law. He could quote you the Old Testament. He was all about the traditions of his father, and he was not understanding that Christ was right there in his midst. So he was zealous and passionate. We have to be careful that we are not zealous and passionate about things that aren't the gospel or that supersede the gospel. We get zealous about our our kids, don't we, dads? I love my kids, and I get excited about them. When I came home from Chicago, my kids were all over me, and I'm like, I love this, and I'm zealous for them, and I want the best for them. We get zealous about our careers. We get zealous about our, our portfolios and our education, and we get zealous about things, and we put them above the gospel, and we can't do that. And so Paul is misdirected in his ambitions. He's zealous for the teachings of his father. And the Bible says, oh, no, we can't do that. And so this is Paul, pre-conversion, a killer of people, zealous for traditions, not Jesus. And then the moment happens. And I pray that the moment has happened in our lives that conversion comes, intervention comes from God. Intervention comes from God. Listen to how Paul articulates this. This is what he says. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Stop. Do you recognize, do I even recognize these three things that have happened? That we were all rebels against God, and these three things happened. Write these down. He set me apart before I was born. Wow. What does that mean? That means before I was born, he set me apart. Right? There's no other way to interpret that. Sometimes we get into these, these doctrinal words like election or predestination that are scary sometimes to us, all right? But what he is saying is before I was born, God had a plan for me and he set me apart for a purpose. And he fulfilled that in changing his whole life. And so for you and I today, God has set us apart for a purpose. Before we were born, he has plans for us. Number two, he's called us by his grace. Hear that, please. He has called us by his grace. We are not calling to him by our efforts, by our desires. He is calling us by his grace. Hear that. Receive that this morning. He is pursuing you. This morning, if you're not a believer in Christ, he is pursuing your heart. You are here this morning not just to to appease your dad or grandpa on Father's Day, You are here because God wants you to hear this message. He is calling you in his love and his grace that you might come to know him as his, as your personal savior. When God calls, things happen. When God says, let there be light, what happens? There's light. When when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb, what happens? Lazarus comes out of the tomb. When Jesus says, on this sea of Galilee, peace be still, the winds obey. And when Jesus calls a sinner to himself, we respond. We respond when he wants us to be in his family. And thirdly, we see, and I love this language, that he was pleased. 
He was happy. He was thrilled to reveal his son to you. If you're a Christian this morning, please understand this text that God was pleased to reveal, to open your eyes, to open your heart, to open your mind. My prayer for Mike Kachkowski is that God would open his eyes to the beauty and the glory of the gospel, but that God was pleased for you this morning. And this should just cause us to, to just be in thanksgiving this morning, that he revealed his son to you and to me and opened our eyes and, and soften our hearts that we could be his son and his daughter. That is a wonderful, rich piece of text that's become one of my favorite scriptures. He's revealed his grace to you, and we should be ever so thankful. I want to finish with this thought. So we've looked at this this crazy guy in Mark 4. We've looked at, at Paul and his life of murdering Christians and then being changed by God. We, we look at these two pictures. And, and you may say this morning, my story is not like that. I've never been high. I've never killed a person. I've never, I've never, I've never. But please don't let this message go too far from yourself. Please realize that all of us, again, were in a place where we were headed towards death and destruction. And because God revealed his son to you, you are now his child You've been bought with a price. He has grace upon you. Don't think it's just crazy Paul. No, it's, it's David who is a sinner saved by grace. It's Jason. It's Scott. It's Kermit. It's Kevin. It's Ruthann. The names, it, it's us who have been saved by grace. Wow. If you read in your Bible, if you have an ESV Bible, the section, this, this message title is called Called by God. I'm going to finish with this last thought. What are we called by God to do? Well, we're called in His grace to be His sons and daughters, to surrender our whole lives to Him and say, I'm all yours. But we're called to do something. Verse 16, Galatians chapter 1. In order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. You have not been called. All this stuff has not happened. Jesus did not die on a cross. He did not reveal a son to you and to me that we would sit back and hang out and chase careers, have kids, and just live the American dream. He did not call us for that. Having some of those things is great. Our kids are a blessing from the Lord, the Bible says. We have to work. We have to, those things we have. But the reason why that man in Mark 4 was changed was to go tell somebody about Christ. The reason why Paul was changed was to go tell the Gentiles about Christ. And the reason that we have been changed is to go tell the world about Christ. It's that simple. It is that simple this morning. The reason why God changed me is that I would stand here today on June 21st and preach a message to you because of what he's done in me. Many, many of you don't know my life story, but you know, I don't, my life's crazy on how God has changed me into a man of God to preach a gospel to you. It's cra- if you knew my entire story, you would say, what? God has been so good to you, David. And I would say, yes, he has been. 
And he's been good to you too. And then my call is to go preach the gospel to you. To go to Chicago and sit there at Starbucks and preach the gospel to Mike Kachkowski. To go to my kids and preach the gospel to them that Jesus saves and loves them. To go into Greenville and to go anywhere I can and tell people that Jesus is the way. I'm emailing back and forth right now with Melanie, who's our, who is our foreign exchange student, telling her about the gospel of grace to a girl in Switzerland who, if you don't know, in Europe, less than 5% of people go to church. And this girl has been put into our life not just to hang out in Ansonia, but that I might open, a door might be opened that me and my wife could preach the gospel of grace to, to Melanie in Switzerland. And we all should have stories upon stories upon stories of how Christ has changed us and is calling us to go to our families, our coworkers, our classmates, our grandparents, our loved ones, our enemies, um, wherever we go, and preach the good news of Christ. Amen? In the final verse, I just I love this scripture. And they glorified God because of me. That's what Paul says. They glorified God because of me. I pray that this morning that you would glorify God because of the word that I have delivered up to you. I pray that. Not anything that I've done. I'm a scrub, all right? I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. And I pray that you would go out and preach the gospel that other people might glorify him, not you, because of the things that you're saying that are true in this word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. God, it is, wow, all that we have, that we could be unified in your word. We have your word to preach from and to learn from and to, to correct ourselves. God, I thank you, Lord, when you, you convict us and you want us to change. God, your word is about your love towards us, and, and then there are some things that come along with that, God. And this morning, God, I pray a, a few different things, and and God, I pray that we would not be in a hurry to get to uh, the Mexican restaurant down the road because it's already packed. God, I pray that we would just take these next five or ten minutes. God, really the question is where else would we rather be than in the presence of God amongst the saints of God worshiping the God of heaven? Where else could we, would we rather be but in this place right now singing and praying and worshiping and connecting with you, God? God, I pray that you would forgive us right now if we want to get out of here. Help us, God, to just dig in these last couple minutes and pray. God, I pray this morning that if there is a person in this room today who has not surrendered, that may be like that crazy man who was against you, that may be like Paul who was against you, that may be like David Hackney who was once against you. Oh, God, I pray that you would, by your grace, reveal your son to us this morning and that our response would be, I believe. Our response would be, I believe and confess with my mouth that you are who you say you are, that you are the way and the truth and the life. I pray, God, if there is one single person here this morning who has not confessed those words, who has not surrendered their life to you, that today would be that very day. Move, God. May we pray for this person this morning, and may we celebrate if and when they come to know you as Savior. God, I pray for us right now who are in Christ who maybe are, are bored with you, who maybe have not prayed to you in a while, who, who maybe are just chasing and are zealous for things that are not you.
would you speak to us? Would you convict us and then build us up and love us up, God? Today, may we lay these things down at the altar and say, God, forgive me for loving my spouse more than I love you. Forgive me for reading those books more than I want to read the Bible. Forgive me for talking about the weather and my kids' sports and my job more than I talk about Christ. Forgive us in our hearts, God, for a lack of desire to know you and to teach and tell people about the glorious gospel of grace that has so deeply changed our lives. So God, help us today to respond to you, to be thankful, to not see telling people about Jesus a job or a frustration, but a joy. God, help us just to be thankful this morning that you've called us into your family, that you're our Father, and that you love us, God. In these next few moments, let us respond. Let us think about you. Let us pray to you. Let us come to an altar of prayer. May we just sit in our seats and pray, but may we just be focused on you. Have your way. In Christ's name, amen.